Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Today is Tuesday, August 9th. Welcome to episode 171 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the next 30 minutes, I'll be delivering the top cybersecurity news stories of the day on what it means to you as a practitioner so you can operationalize it at your work today. Or if you're looking to break in the industry, we got you covered. You're definitely going to want to know what's going on. All right. <laughs> because you're going to get asked in an interview, among other things. But plus, it's just good to know what's going on. It gives you context, gives you relevance. You start hearing key terminology, key, key APT group names. Uh, so it's definitely value, okay? Shout out and thanks to this stream sponsor, this group right here, good people, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Cyber criminals have stolen your company's data and derailed your business operations. Barricade Cyber Solutions will help you resolve the ransomware incident and get your business back on track. Listen, people, I'm telling you, I've said it a hundred times on this channel and I'm going to say it. I'll just keep saying it because it's so true. Barricade Cyber Solutions is like a, a digital forensics incident response company. It's like a fire truck or a, a fire department for your business when you're in like the correlation, right? If your house is on fire, fire um, it's not when you want to like research private fire departments, right? Like, oh, what are their rates? Oh, how effective are they? Like, do they have access to fire hydrants, right? Like, what kind of truck do they have? No, you want that all sorted out in advance. It's the left of boom work you should be doing. Barricade Cyber Solutions, great option. You can go to barricadecyber.com in order to set up a basically no obligation meeting with, uh, with their team and just talk through what it would look like. I want to remind you, <clears throat> if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs or CEUs, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, just like this one right now, is worth half a CPE. So they stack two and a half a week, 10 a month. Be sure to document literally the easiest, and I would argue with anyone, <laughs> the most enjoyable way to earn CPEs. How do, how do you uh, document it? Well, first of all, <clears throat> you got to do it at the portal for your certification body. But say what's up in chat. Say hashtag team live. Say where you're coming from, right? Are you in Vegas already? Are you, it, are you suffering from FOMO? Are you in Europe, Asia, Africa? Where are you, South America? Just let us know. The reason being, you have a forensically sound piece of auditable evidence that you were here on this day at this time for this briefing. CPEs locked in. Um, I do want to really mention really quickly, somebody pinged me yesterday and said, oh, can you make the CPEs available for GIAC? Here's the deal. You can do this daily cyber threat briefing for up to 12 CPEs for GX certifications. I looked into the policies for future uh, certifications. If you have a security certification and you want to know if this works, all you have to do is go to your certification body's website, pull up the CPE policy and guidelines and look through what is applicable and what is not. This is industry news. This is subject matter. This is relevant to um, staying abreast in the field, which is exactly what CPEs are designed for. So you'd be hard pressed to find a situation where they're not applicable, but uh, I just, I can't go looking at everybody's certification bodies to see if they apply. So that's, that's the SOP for that. If you are live, love it. I see 84 of you uh, on Cyber's YouTube channels. Good morning. Thank you for being here. I can't wait to get into the coffee. Uh, if you are on replay, uh, thank you very much. Hashtag team replay in chat. Uh, you know, identify what, what faction you're with. But either way, I appreciate you catching the stream uh, in the future. So from the past, I give you a head nod. Uh, my, my West Coast people, I know it can be tough at 5 a.m. I'm going to find out tomorrow as I broadcast at 5 a.m. from Las Vegas. Now, if you want to jump right to the news, if you're watching on replay, you have the power of time travel. So just go ahead and click, click, click right up to um, the future, right? 90 seconds is probably how long it's going to be because for the next 90 seconds, myself and the people who are live are going to be saying, what's up? Good morning. Getting the coffee ready, letting people pile in here. Uh, let's let's do it. All right. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Bernice. Hey, Eddie Del Castillo. Navena, good to see you. Carrie, happy to see you in chat. Hopefully, hopefully World of Haiku is going well for you, Carrie. Jax is in here. Matthew Necci representing from the Sun State. Nice job, Arizona. Guys, just pouring this coffee. I did check out the AeroPress. That wasn't going to work. You still need hot water for the AeroPress. No surprise. I have packed a um, 
hot water kettle and Starbucks uh, instant coffees. That's that's my solution. That's the best I can do. Team Airport, BSEC. All right, all right. I'll be Team Airport in just a few hours here. Got an early afternoon flight. George Harris, low country living or upstate, my friend. Where are we at? Sir Addison, good morning, North Carolina. Good morning, Louise Gama. Good to see you guys. Got the coffee going. San Antonio, big Texas. Oh, Justin, Justin. Spring's child, Justin. Woo. Uh, well, William, I've danced around. I've taken many coffees out on dates. And French roast is my darling. Nice. Sounds good. I just love the French roast. Full body. Gives me the right level of caffeine. Sets my mind right. You know how we roll. William Hessel at 2 a.m. Love it. West Virginia, Maryland. A lot of, a lot of U.S. up in here. Goose Creek. Love it. Central Ohio. I'm going to take a slug off this coffee. Guys, I hope some of, I know some of you in chat definitely caught the metaverse in the metaverse attack. I know BSEC was there. He had a question. Uh, base case helped monitor um, or moderate. It was it was cool. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do a lot uh, in the metaverse. I did pay, I think, $25. Uh, like it's like $25 a month to be able to like run those meetings in a way that gives you some moderator control. Um, I don't know if it's worth I'd have to do like four meetings a month in my mind to justify $25 um, a month. But it was fun. It was it was cool. I enjoyed I enjoyed it. Like I, you know, I don't know how many people uh, BSEC said this in chat. It was kind of like going to one of my college lectures. I feel like I feel like it had that college lecture vibe where I was at the front uh, speaking, engaging uh, students, uh, attendees, etc. So I like the format. I wish I could do other formats. I, I thought about doing the daily threat briefing, uh, but honestly, uh, I tried many different things. I cannot pump audio into the metaverse. Um, just my just my mic, and <clears throat> I got ridiculed for putting my phone up to the mic a couple weeks ago. We all remember that snafu. So. Can't be doing that. So we'll figure it out. If I can get... William Hessel loved the stream. Um, the restream POV. Yeah, yeah, it was good. <clears throat> it was good. I appreciate that. Maybe I will. I, I, let me think about it on the flight. You know what I mean? I've got this thing for a month. Um, so maybe I can think of a couple other talks. It, it was cool. It was cool. I wish I had more space. Honestly, <clears throat> doing it on restream and pushing it to you all means I have to stand at my desk. It's a head. It's a wireless unit. So, like in reality, if I was just doing metaverse, I could go to like an actual room or a classroom or even my guest bedroom and in walk around and really be able to like fill the space and explore and, and engage people in a much better way. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I used a Yeti mic. I held it up to my face. I pushed the sure like away off the boom that way i wouldn't hit it and i just walked around like this that's why if you <clears throat> if you looked at me in chat or in the metaverse i was holding my hand up to my face thank you pamela yeah haters are gonna hate here's the thing i don't want to do a metaverse talk just for like the novelty of doing a metaverse talk like i i want i want to have some value i want people to want to go to the talk you know what i mean so because it's a lot of work on my part and i just you know if i'm gonna do it i want it to have value all right, guys. <clears throat> I think that's good. Fraud Dog, Macwells. Guys, take a good... I don't have a Rodecast. I do have a GoXLR. Oh, uh, final notes. Uh, my I got notification that my new computer is being delivered it, or it's shipped. It's in transit right now. Once we get that up and running, um, it's, a, it's a whole new world. Aladdin style. A whole new world. It's going to be a maze. All right. So once that gets up and running, I'll get the mixer set up. BSEC is a DJ. Maybe he knows how to route Spotify into the metaverse. Um, actually, maybe we could do that. I don't know. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. I did have two avatars in the talk, which is kind of funny because I could see myself like a twin. All right, let's let's get into the news, guys. I'm, I'm all rambling because I'm all amped up about, um, about um, my upcoming work trip. Let's do this. Good morning, Benny. Good morning, Joshua. Hey, Victoria. Victoria, it's a custom build machine. Uh, I'll send the specs. It's a it's a NVIDIA GPU 3080, and um, 
like 64 gigs of RAM and some Ryzen chip. I don't even know. Taking a week off from Super Cyber. Hey, what's this guy doing? That's the wrong guy. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. Treasury sanctions tornado cash. The Office of Foreign Assets Control issued the sanctions against the popular virtual currency mixer. Tornado Cash combines various types of cryptocurrency assets and attempts to mask their origins. Researchers have found evidence of it being used to launder money for Lazarus Group and other threat actors. The Treasury reports it's been used to launder over $7 billion in cryptocurrency since 2019, with $455 million tied to Lazarus, as well as the $600 million tied to the hack of the Ronin Bridge used by the game Axie Infinity. The Treasury also issued sanctions against the crypto mixer Blender.io back in May, which was also tied to North Korean threat actors. All right. So this is... This is not surprising. I guess what you may consider surprising, and it took this long to get there. Now, a couple of things. Um, when we had Charles Finfrock on live, and if you haven't seen the Charles Finfrock talk, he came for two different talks. Um, he talks about how um, threat actors are able to you know, steal money, right? Whether it's ransomware, whether it's straight theft. But once you get Bitcoin, once you get Solana, um, oh, geez, what's the Monera? which is the the favorite of all the threat actors. Once you get this, it's not like you can turn around and buy, you know, anything of tangible value. You can't you can't trade it for property or anything like that. Yeah, you can use it a little bit in the metaverse to spin stuff around, but when you it's like Brewster's Millions if you want to really date yourself, Richard Pryor's Brewster Millions, which by the way, probably should be remade at, at this point. You have all this money, $560 million of Bitcoin. How do you how do you spend it? You can't. It's not worth anything if you can't make it into a uh, currency that is uh, transactable. And because it's Bitcoin, it's totally traceable and everything like that. So there are these services called mixers um, or blenders, and essentially, it's like a bunch of people all agree that they're going to put all their wallets in there, and then I put a million dollars in, and I get a million dollars out. But the bitcoins are all different bitcoins. And maybe I, I get like a little taste taken off, right, for a transaction fee from Mixer, uh, uh, from Tornado Cash. This is fine. But like it's literally used it, like exclusively by criminals, right? Like w- there's no reason for me to mix my Bitcoin if it's a legitimate Bitcoin. Who cares, right? It's not marked. It's like marked bills at the bank when you rob a bank or when people rob banks and they get the die packs and stuff like that or sequential um, serial numbers, right? You uh, imagine a bunch of criminals going together and like sharing the money and then pulling it out. Now you got non-sequential serial numbers. The die packs have been thrown out, etc. Right? So it's it's a service, but it's completely absurd. The fact that the Treasury Department is now sanctioning them is fantastic. I don't know what kind of reach the U.S. Treasury Department has. Uh, my thinking is that um, you know U.S. businesses wouldn't be able to use it, but I really don't think that the U.S. businesses are using them anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, assess, like, so this, this group got a $60 million civil penalty. Um, I'd have to read into this story. To me, like, to me, the story here is that the U.S. Treasury's like, taking note and taking action and doing something like this. But this, to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, chat, but this, to me, it's like, this is like when the Department of Justice issues an indictment for like North Korean hackers. Yeah, like that's great. But dude, we we're start I and your rules don't apply here, right? Like what what is the sanction on Tornado Cash? Like it's prob like again, I'm going to have to look at it, but Tornado Cash is probably run outside the United States by people outside the United States, right? So some people are probably using it that are US based criminals and stuff like that. But I don't know if they can reach Tornado Cash. I don't know if their their authority. So you know who cares, right? This this to me is like a posturing and BPR where they're like, oh look, we don't condone this. But you know what? what? Legitimate businesses aren't using blenders. So I mean, whatever, whatever. Good good posture. Good posture. Yo, confirms hack. 
The communications integration company confirmed that unauthorized actors gain access to customer data as of August 4th. This appears to be the result of social engineering, with several employees tricked into handing over login credentials using SMS phishing messages purportedly from the company's IT department. The company was aware of these phishing messages and contacted carriers to stop the messages, but the threat actors rotated through carriers and hosting providers to continue the campaign. This indicates an operation that is well-organized, sophisticated, and methodical. Twilio informed impacted customers directly. TechCrunch reports it learned of the same threat actor using a similar campaign companies. It's not clear if these campaigns succeeded. Wow. Okay, so careful, careful. I mean, this is this is so... Uh legitimate um, use case of, of good end user training. So, and this is a little meta too. So I'm not a wicked expert on this, but Twilio is a business that kind of offers communication services um, at the internet level, but you can use them to like um, set up like middleware, like firmware, kind of like if this, then that, but also you can get like, temporary numbers you can't like say you're standing up a, a number for like a campaign or something like that like a call center or something like like you can use that um twilio service and they'll stand up a number and you can quickly push it so but but twilio was like a massive player in this space like they're they're like the enterprise grade solution so for their employees to get like even in the story it says they have 150,000 corporate customers not users customers okay like this is bananas and if twilio gets popped now it's like it's like when solar winds got popped right it's not necessarily that solar winds was a problem it's that they have such reach that now their customer base is kind of at risk or exposed this one was actually you know fully executed on where twilio employees got tricked because carl received a text message from IT saying that they needed to take some action on the password. Guys, it really like I'm I'm like half upset tummy, half boiling rage that a text message from IT saying that your password is expired worked. Like it what are we doing? Like that should be like that is the use case that you put in your training material to educate your end users on what phishing looks like. How do you fall for these things? I, I, you know, like whatever, I get it. I'm not judging. And this is like internal, you know, infosec water cooler talk, but like, I guess we have to do better for our end users, but come on, dude, like your, your password expired. Click here. Freak me, man. So anyways, check out Twilio. Um, they're, they're really, really incredible. Uh, what they offer as a business. Um, and it sounds like they tried to take action a little bit faster, uh, but were unable as the threat actors were incredibly sophisticated. I would not be surprised. I mean, this is kind of like nation state threat level or really, really well um, facilitate, really well supported um, cyber criminal gang because they had the ability to quickly rotate carriers, rotate numbers, rotate, like basically... Twilio knew they were under attack at one point. Like, okay, so like they're under attack. They don't know. They don't know. They get reports. They get reports. Now they know they're under attack. And they still can't do anything about it because the threat actors are moving. Like, it's really, really wild how effective the bad guys were in this particular attack. So be mindful of this. This is definitely one to dig into a little bit more, especially if your business is leveraging Twilio. A lot of tech companies um, and, and SaaS providers leverage Twilio. Chinese hacking group targets backdoors. Security researchers at Kaspersky report that a Chinese hacking group used six different backdoors to simultaneously attack more than a dozen organizations. Targets included government agencies in Belarus, Russia, Ukraine, and Afghanistan. The attackers carefully crafted phishing emails to gain initial access, often referencing private internal company data. Once users click through the phishing emails, the attackers use an exploit to execute code and gain persistence on the network. Based on technical indicators, Kaspersky researchers believe the hacking group TA428 orchestrated the campaign. Ooh, okay. Hold Zero. on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So the I'm just looking. It says what CVE they exploited. 
Microsoft Office 2007 SP3. Uh, so Microsoft Office. Um, Microsoft Office memory corruption vulnerability. Okay, so here's what happened. This is pretty cool. I'm going to have to get fact-checked on this too. There's a lot going on. This this story right here is a perfect highlight on how sophisticated, how advanced, how well-equipped China is as a cyber power, okay? So here's the deal. China hacks uh, a dozen different high-profile targets, right? Like Ukraine, whatever. They attack by sending a specially crafted email, so phishing email, which is accounts for like 80% of all uh, initial attack vectors, okay? So like, I can't tell, like guys, MFA is very important. Good email security gateways are important and training awareness is important and EDR is important. There's a lot of important stuff, but like, dude, anyone can send anyone an email, right? So you need to protect it. So China threat actors, they send crafted emails um, that they must have done recon because they were referencing internal resources or whatever. People fall for them. The fact that they exploited a Microsoft Office bug gives me little, or I should say, I was going to say little pause, but high confidence is the right way to use it in threat intelligence speak. High confidence that it was a Microsoft Office document attached to the email asking them to check it out. They open it, it's not like macros, it's straight exploitation, um, technical exploitation. Pop the box, probably dump creds, privilege escalation, just like we talked about yesterday. And then they run the golden ticket attack, right? Now, I am not a pen tester, um, so I might get this not 100% right. But in the world of Active Directory, right? Active Directory is like how... like it. It's how modern networks work, right? Like Active Directory manages the users in your environment, all the Carls, and it manages your computers in your environment, all your endpoint servers, everything like that. So like GPO, when we talk about GPO, that's AD pushing policy down to your environment, okay? Now, here's the deal. When you access a resource like file share or log into something, it's not like directly, right? You you get a what's called a ticket from AD and it's a real it's Kerberos and it's a really complex like I think it's complicated process of like asking for a ticket, then getting granted a ticket for a ticket, then getting the ticket granting ticket, and then you finally get a ticket, right? It's it seems convoluted, but a golden ticket is exactly what it sounds like. You're Charlie, the whole ED domain, or Forest is the chocolate factory, and you're just bouncing around wherever you want. That is my understanding of the golden ticket. It's basically a all access pass VIP. You know, it's the it's the wristband at Disney where you don't wait in line for anything. It's that, okay? So once you get that, you basically own the domain. So, <laughs> phishing attack, high-profile targets, pop them with a technical exploitation, golden ticket, game over. And it's not really clear to me what their... Um, it's not really clear to me what their ultimate goal was. Um, obviously it was for espionage, uh, you would think since there was no damage or anything like that. The, the one final thing I'll say about this story. And again, I only know this because I've, I've, you know, ran with some NSA former operators and, uh, I know some pen testers, but again, guys, I'm blue. Sure. It's blue. I'm blue all day long. The simply cyber logo colors are blue. I'm not red. They said in the story, six persistent backdoors. Now you may think if if you weren't if you weren't knowledgeable on this, you may think that like oh you get in a box you establish persistence through a backdoor mechanism, uh, so you can get back in without having to exploit the box again using that vulnerability, right? And that would be fine, and that's the case. But what real advanced threat actors do, and really good pen testers, frankly, they'll establish multiple persistence mechanisms. Why? Because if you catch one of them, you give yourself a pat on the back, you feel good about yourself. Crisis averted, but in reality, there's multiple. And they'll, you know, John Strand always talks about beaconing and his Rita tool and how that detects beaconing. These um, sophisticated threat actors, they will beacon on long-term intervals. So they'll have, let's say, six back doors, and one is beaconing every minute, and the second one is beaconing every 15 minutes, right? And one of them is beaconing every week, and then one beacons every month, 
right? And then you've got one that beacons annually, right? So even if they find them, there are dormant kind of logic bomb backdoors just sitting, waiting. Um, so you can clean it up as best you want. And most people wouldn't think to go six deep, right? So that's, that's, that is tradecraft. That is military grade. They used in Twitter data breach. The social network disclosed that it received a bug bounty report in January 2022 that if someone submitted an email or phone number to its systems, Twitter would tell the person what Twitter account it was associated with. While Twitter fixed the bug soon after disclosure, prior to its discovery, a malicious actor combined publicly scraped data with account contact information using this bug. This data set appeared on dark web markets for sale for $30,000. Twitter realized someone took advantage of the zero day prior to disclosure and notified impacted users. And now okay, so I think we talked about this the other day, and maybe this is just an update. Um, it says Twitter breach, but, you know, keep your pants on. This this was just like mapping usernames um, to email address uh, breach, right? So very, in, in the pantheon of breaches, I would consider this a minor one. It was a kind of a clever vulnerability. So if you submitted a bug ticket to Twitter, it would reply like, so I, I send it from gerald.simplycyber at Gmail. And it says, hey, at Gerald Osier, thanks for submitting the bug. It's not a real bug. Piss off, right? Well, this, 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 criminal or i mean he's not really criminal uh, I, I don't know what to call this person this security researcher white hat or black hat scraped a bunch of email addresses submitted a bunch of tickets to twitter and then it came back with intel it came back with the mapped twitter account now you know what do you do with this you're beginning to like dot not docs but you're beginning to map out and associate twitter handles with individuals right you could use that in social engineering campaigns, uh, maybe pretending to be from Twitter. But I don't know. To me, like my Twitter handle and my email address, you know, I'm not saying that I'm like very public about my email address, but it's not, it's like my house address or something, right? It's not, I don't go around saying online where my house is, but you know, if you, if you really wanted to find it, I reckon you could. So I, I don't know. Like this, this headline. In my opinion, guys, like I, I, I guess I'm just been around the block a few times. Like this headline pisses me off. Now that, now hold on, like zero day bug. Yeah, okay, it wasn't patched, but like this isn't like the critical flaw in the emergency alert system that's being presented at DefCon. This was you submitted a ticket to Twitter and they replied with your your Twitter handle, which is public, right? So and then massive Twitter breach. It was a correlation of email to Twitter account. Like, I guess massive qualifies it because there were a lot of users, but like, I don't know. When I think zero day and breach, I think of something much different. To me, this is kind of a clickbaity headline. And and I don't know. I guess I'm just so, so close to this. Like, dude, like when I hear zero day, I perk up, right? This warrants and garners my attention, which is why they used it in the title. But I don't like... It's annoying. Like I'd be pit. I'm pit. I'm pissed. I'm pit. Actually, I guess I'm pissed. Like I'm pissed for no reason. Like I, I wasted my time thinking about what this story meant to me, uh, and then it was like, ah, just kidding. It's not really that that uh, serious. Whatever. Sorry. All right. Let's do. Um, let's do a. Um, what? What? Ugh. Hold on. Oh no. Hold on. Sheesh. There we go. Sheesh. All right. Thanks for the sounder, Gray. Clickbait emoji. Well, you know, sheesh is pretty good. I'll, I'll use that today. All right. Let's get uh, let's get here from the sponsors. Thanks to this week's episode sponsor, EdgeScan. EdgeScan offers a single platform solution that covers the full stack from web applications to APIs to the network and data layer. Continuous attack surface management coupled with automated and strategic pen testing as a service yields fully scalable discovery. All right. Deep fake cybercrime increasing. Okay, real quick. Thank you, everybody, uh, for being here. I do want to uh, take a moment while we have the um, commercial break. I will check uh, in comments. Can someone just tell me, like, you know, these like portable batteries that you can use to like store energy and then charge your cell phone or whatever, like from your pocket? Like, can you bring these on airplanes? I, I need 
like my do- my phone always dies because I leave my my hotel room at like six a.m. and then I don't come back until like midnight, and my phone always dies, and it always pisses me off. So I I found one of these batteries in my my gear, but I don't know if I could take it on a plane. Um, so let me know in chat. Um, I do want to say thank you really quickly um, to uh, all of you, and just let you know that while I'm in Black Hat, there is no Simply Cyber Live scheduled talk, but ThreatGen, the company I work for. Um, I'm going out there with Clint, who's the CEO of the company. Uh, I am in, in charge of information security and the director of cybersecurity education there, in case you guys didn't know. We have a big announcement on uh, Wednesday at 3.30 Eastern time. Okay, Really big announcement, something kind of, not kind of big. It's something that I've been very, very involved with. I've been working it. Clint and I have been working it together. Uh, we're going to go live. We're going to kind of give you some initial reactions and thoughts from Black Hat. I'll have done the the metaverse talk already. So uh, maybe we'll talk about that. Get your thoughts from chat on that. But the 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 real sizzle, the, 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 the payoff of this stream is a really big announcement that I think you guys are really going to dig, right? Um, so I, you know, just te- to tease it out there, you can go to youtube.com slash threat gen and you'll see this uh, play card for an upcoming live stream. I hope you can join us. It's going to be wicked awesome. I'm super pumped honestly about it okay that that's all i wanted to say on that one no no long commercials today VMware released its annual Global Incident Threat Response Report looking at the landscape of cybersecurity threats across its large client base. Unsurprisingly, the report found that ransomware and business email compromise attacks showed a continued steady climb in frequency, representing a combined 70% of security incidents over the past 12 months. However, cyber attacks using deepfake tools showed a 13% increase on the year, with 66% of respondents reporting at least one incident. VMware also noted that outside of direct cyber attacks, the FBI reported an increase in complaints of people using deepfakes and stolen identity information to apply for remote work positions. The report also found a surge in zero-day attacks up 51% of the year, which can likely be attributed to geopolitical conflicts leading to increased activity by state-sponsored actors. Okay. All right. So check it out. Deep fakes. This is where they can like put someone's face over your face. And, you know, like there's a million. It just Google the word deep fake. <laughs> Make sure you're using uh, suitable for work filters, right? Because there is a lot of adult film industry deep fake stuff out there. But there's plenty of like Bill Hader, Tom Cruise looking stuff. Um, deep fakes are being used by sophisticated threat actors right now. It will trickle down to mid tier grunts and then script kitties eventually. Um, there are synthesia.io is a company that's already offering, um, you know, AI, very realistic. It's not deep fake, but AI looking very realistic people that you can use um, to, to say whatever you want. Okay. They're saying, and guys, I said this, if you attended my metaverse in the metaverse talk yesterday, my number one attack was business avatar compromise, which was basically a play on business email compromise. Guys, I, ransomware is all the rage and it gets all the pub, but r- ransomware and business email compromise, they're very close to each other as far as dollar value of financial impact to businesses year over year. We say ransomware because it's sexy. Business email compromise is, you know, like getting your lunch pail and going to work at, at, for a cyber criminal, okay? It pays really well. It's pretty consistent. It doesn't require a lot of uh, maintenance or upkeep. You just got to get the right person. And frankly, you don't even need to pop the CEO's email in order to send an email to threat uh, to the financial analyst, right? You could just spoof the CEO's email and you still get hits like that, right? You do have to set up a bank account, uh, but I mean, that's wicked easy in any country. Uh, you could use a service like Twilio to, to fake your numbers and stuff like that. Okay. So deepfakes is a tool in the trade that increases the level of trust, increases the level of authority, and ultimately will increase the efficacy of a successful business email compromise attack. They said in the article that, you know, uh, 66% of organizations interviewed or surveyed for this study, which I didn't see the total count, which is an important number, 66% of the population said that they experienced at least one deepfake attack this year. Now that seems that seems very high to me, uh, honestly. But you know, it's it's 
it's from Palo Alto Unit 42, which um, I've said it on stream and I'll say it again uh, every time it comes up. Palo Alto Unit 42 is a very legitimate uh, threat intel research group, okay? So if they are saying this is true, then I believe them uh, unequivocally, okay? It's, they are very good at what they do. So deep fake attacks going up, no surprise, especially with like SaaS services um, being so available where you can just like upload something and then something comes, comes back out in a minute. Again, you guys can see email was reported as a top delivery method. I just said that a couple stories back. You've got to have good email security gateway, guys. All right, fi final thing. If you don't believe me, from 2016 to 2021, so a five-year span, business email compromise, $43 billion. All right? And it's not like linear, okay? It's not eight, it's not $8 billion a year. I bet you if you look at the numbers, 2016 was like half a billion. 2017, 3 billion. And 2021 was probably like 14 billion or 16 billion. It's, it's exponentially going up because more threat actors are figuring it out. The tool sets are getting better, i.e. deep fakes, right? All of these mechanisms are better and it pays wicked good. Guys, I don't know about you, but I could do a lot with $43 billion, right? I could buy Twitter almost. LOL. So just be mindful of this. Again, educate your end users. Deepfakes is a very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say visceral. Deepfakes is a very visible, in your face, super easy to comprehend concept or technology, right? So it's a great op, and it's kind of got like a little bit of like uh, sizzle to it, right? It's a little sexy. Uh, and why do I say all this? Because it's very easy to educate your end users about deepfakes technology because it's like a magic trick, right? Guys, when we're trying to educate end users about like supply chain attacks or, um, you know, shadow IT or something like that, they're like, wah, wah, wah. It's like the Peanuts characters. That's what they hear from us, wah, 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 wah. right? Well, you show them a deepfake where like all of a sudden, you know, Carl looks like Tom Cruise, right? Like that's, they get up. Whoa, that's kind of wild. Or even better, Carl looks like the CEO, right? Or you have the CEO of the company say, everybody gets a four day work week or everybody gets next month off or whatever, right? Just to show the point, you can have high impact with a with an educational module on deep fakes. So consider doing that. Slack leaks hashed passwords. In a security bulletin, Slack advised that between April April 17th and July 22nd of this year, creating or revoking a shared invitation link for a workspace would include the sender's hash password in the invite. This password wasn't visible and required actively monitoring encrypted network traffic to view. These passwords were also salted by Slack, although it's unclear if they were stretched as well. Slack said in enforced password resets on impacted users, which would be about 0.5% of Slack's user base. Okay. Edge um... Again, I wish I had, um, sometimes I had like an Ed McMahon sitting next to me. I gotta, I gotta get like, oh, John Helmus. If you guys know Dr. John Helmus, he's a buddy of mine. He's, he's a really successful, uh, offensive security guy. I would love to be able to turn to him and, and like just lobs certain things to him. Okay. So first of all, not, a, I'm not a Slack fan. I know people, there's some diehards in here who love Slack. I'm a discord guy. Okay. No big deal. So Slack admits to leaking hash passwords for five years. That's a really long time. That really sucks. Now remember people. <clears throat> and if you don't know, like hashing is a one way, um, I, I wouldn't really call it encryption, but <clears throat> it's like a one way formula that translates some type of data into a number, right? Or, or not a number, but into a a hash. They're called hashes. Okay. Right. So MD5, SHA1, SHA2, right. These are hashing algorithms. And typically you would use them because they're one way. You can't take a hash and reverse it. It's not like encryption where you can decrypt it. Okay. There's a difference. Now, why would you want to do a hash? Well, you type in your password, that sensitive information, you hash it on your endpoint before you send it, you send the hash over to active directory or whatever. <clears throat> It hashes your password using the same formula, matches the two, they match, 
you're authorized. It doesn't match your, your denied access, okay? So hashing has its utility, right? We also see hashing for file integrity, right? Here's the, here's the hash of the malware. Make sure you're using the same sample. Okay, so you put in your password, you send it to Slack, they hash it, and they send it. In the, here's where I'm gonna lose my mind, okay? I don't, like, okay, Slack admitted it. Slack's done something about it. Told their end users to change their password. But here's my thing. The story says that A, it was hashed. B, it was salted, which means they add a little bit of extra. Well, hold on. Let, let me explain why you would salt it. You can, even though hashes are not reversible, the way that you would attack it is by creating like a rainbow table effectively where you take known passwords and you hash them and then you compare, right? So you can, you have the same hashing formula. So if you have the original cipher or, or clear text, excuse me, you can hash it and see if you get the same uh, hash value. So you can, so you can do it yourself, right? So that's, that's how you would attack a hash, right? You dump a password database, you run MD5 on it, and then you search um, the Slack dump and see if you if you got any matches and now you know that password, right? Okay, so that's how that works. Now, Slack says, A, they add salt, which which basically is kind of funny because that's like adding salt to your dish to make it spicier, but like, or more flavorful. A salt basically makes it so the hash is different, right? So it's it's my password is SolarWinds123, uh, but when you hash it, there's salt added. So like if you were just to do an MD5 of SolarWinds123, it would look like this hash. And with the salt, it's a different hash, okay? So that's one great thing. It, it helps with uh, these kind of brute force attacks. Two, they said you would need to sniff an encrypted communication channel. Like what? Like if the channel is encrypted, like you'd have to decrypt the channel, then pull out the salted hash, then know what the salt is, then reverse the hash to get the password. To me, you know, and this is why I want to throw it to a pen tester. Like maybe you could get to the original password somehow, but the level of effort to me, this is, you know, I guess in my like pea brain of security knowledge, this seems like a pretty good protection of the password. Encryp encrypted network communications, salted hashes. Like I don't even see where the leakings happen, right? So yeah, I mean, and then it's Slack. Like who the hell, like you'd have to know, You like listen, you'd have to be wicked sophisticated, have a ton of time, be wicked motivated and know exactly who your target was, right? You're not doing wholesale Slack password ripping. You're looking for someone. You're looking for a VIP, right? You're looking for Lil Nas X working on, you know, an NFT crypto uh, Slack server or something like that because you're going to rip off his his NFTs and then uh, flip it and, and do some type of like um, celebrity endorsement uh, bait and switch thing. I, I don't know. I don't know what the end goal is. It doesn't... Oh, here's another thing. This is leaking hashes, but it doesn't say that it was ever successfully leaked. It doesn't say, just because there's a vulnerability right in a system like this one does not mean that anyone ever successfully exploited it. So definitely get your head around that too. Vulnerability, zero day, doesn't always mean exploitation. It just means vulnerable, right? Just because my front door of my house, the lock is busted because I accidentally you know, broke the key in it or something like that does not mean criminals have turned it and walked into my house at any point. It just means I have a weakness in my defense. It has not been exploited, right? So that's, that's what's going on here. Makes the unfamiliar a little safer. Microsoft added a new enhanced security mode feature to its Edge browser. This disables just-in-time JavaScript compilation and applies OS-level protections like hardware-enforced stack protection and arbitrary code guard. Microsoft will automatically apply this enhanced security mode when visiting an unfamiliar site and adapt settings as pages are visited more frequently. Enterprise admins can choose to opt users in to stricter security measures with configurable allow and block lists for security features on specific sites. What the crap? Indonesia. Okay, so a couple things. couple things. One, I'm a little confused. Like this gets a little bit more technical, but like Microsoft Edge adds some functionality. They don't allow, they do uh, like memory execution control and, and, and um, control flow guard. Like those defensive measures, they basically prevent people from, from using uh, buffer overflows or ROP gadgets if you, if you want to get really deep in it. 
uh, return oriented programming. It's how you it's how you like jump around and execute arbitrary code. Like that's better. Those control those defenses have been around for years, right? So I don't know why they're introducing it now. Like it, especially because Microsoft Windows um, has had it for quite a while. Um, so Edge is made by Microsoft. It runs on Windows. You know, this is this is exclusively my opinion. Microsoft Edge is good for one thing: downloading another browser. That's what Microsoft's Edge primary use case is for me. Like if I accidentally launch Microsoft Edge, like I can't close it quick enough, and I get a little viscerally disgusted. Um, it's way better than Internet Explorer. I'm just saying it is way better than Internet Explorer. But Microsoft Edge, it, I'd rather use like Curl. <laughs> than Edge. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, get up out of here. But you know what? Microsoft, good on you. Continuing to make an effort, pushing things forward in the security domain. Um, they do point out that you shouldn't click on sketchy pop-ups, but that's a best practice in any capacity. Um, threat actors are going to do stuff. Um, so, but whatever. If you are an Edge user, bless your heart. <laughs> Unblocks domains. Late last month, we covered that Indonesia blocked several websites for failure to register as an electronic systems operator in the country in compliance with new regulations that just went into effect. As it stated when it initially blocked the services, Indonesia's communications ministry reopened access to PayPal, Yahoo, and Valve after each registered. This registration obligates these platforms to comply with content moderation laws in the country, including removing content deemed illegal within 24 hours. Epic Games and EA's origin service remain blocked in the country. No Fortnite in Indonesia. All right, guys. So I like th this is a story, but I actually want to relate this to a bigger macro level lesson learned um, from the information security world. And this is really practical for anyone. Some people, if you've lived this, then you already know this and you're probably going to champion what I'm about to say or echo it. Um, Here's the deal. Really quick. We talked about this story two weeks ago. Indonesia said, hey, you know, in 2022, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z around licensing or you can't operate in our country. And they told these businesses in 2020. And I made a big joke on stream when the story came up about how um, no matter how long they had given, they could have given two months. Everybody would have waited until the two months. You could have given two years, which they did. Everybody seemed to wait until two years, right? Uh, Stefan Semeroth said it in, in stream. It's something like, you know, basically the amount of time you have to complete a piece of project is the exact amount of time it's going to take, right? If you've ever given yourself a deadline, it's three months. You know, you take the three months, you give yourself two weeks. It's like urgent. You got to get this done. You get it done. Okay. Here's the macro level less. Oh, so anyways, um, Indonesia stood firm and blocked everybody. And oh, all of a sudden, PayPal, Yahoo and Valve. Oh, like in a couple weeks, they figured it out. Surprise, right? Okay, so what's the big macro level picture that you're talking about, Jerry? Drop some knowledge bombs on me. Okay, here's the deal. It's the difference between administrative controls and technical controls. And in the world of InfoSec, we have, we have controls, right? NIST 853, I heart NIST. NIST 853 is a control dictionary, and it's basically all the controls that we can implement. We don't implement all of them. You want to do a risk-based approach. You have to understand how much political capital it's going to cost to put in controls, how much friction to end users, a million, a million things to decide or to, to account for when you're picking controls. But here's the deal. There are administrative controls like um, a, a, a policy that says you won't um, share your password with other people. Okay. You won't do it. You won't write it down. You won't tell Jax what your password is. And that's an administrative control. But here's the thing. I'm going to Vegas later today. I forgot to book my time in the time clock system. I'll just call Jax or text her and say, Hey Jax, can you log into the time clock and just book me for eight hours? I have, it's legit. I did work. I'm going to work eight hours or whatever. I trust Jax with my password. I'll probably change it when I get to Vegas. Um, and I get my time done, right? I get what I need done, done. And it's an administrative control that says I shouldn't do it, but nothing prevents me from doing it. Okay. 
Now there's technical controls. Technical controls will stop you dead in your tracks because it's technically enforced. Technical controls have way more efficacy than administrative controls. And here's how it relates to this story. Indonesia told people for two years, bro, get your stuff in order, licensing, blah, blah, blah. And big tech was just like, <laughs> that's cute. They're cute. Uh, let's get back to golfing, right? Okay. Fast forward, administrative control, notifications, communication, policy. Great. Probably some people followed it. Technical control stopped operating in the country because of a ACE in access control list rule on a border firewall. I'm obviously oversimplifying this, but for the point of what I'm doing, I will. Oh, technical control. We no longer operate in that country raise it up the flagpole, red alert. Let's get all hands on staff, brew the coffee. We're working over the weekend. Get this in order. Get the, hold on, get this in order. We got to go. That is the difference between an administrative control and a technical control. And obviously technical controls um, may cost a little bit more money. They may cost a little bit more time. You may have to put a, a person to work the technical control, right? To manage the solution, whatever it is. But I'm telling you right now, guys, a sign on a door that says, do not use this door as an exit and a lock on the door that says nothing. One of them will always stop people from using it as an exit. One of them will be ignored. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's very valuable that you understand, especially if you're young in your career, yeah, you could throw an administrative control at something, but technical controls have higher efficacy. And depending on what your goals are and what you're trying to accomplish, um, you know, be mindful of that. All right. That is my more you know with a touch of spice, you know, chef's kiss. This week on the CISO series podcast. All right. So that, that's, that does it for that. Uh, let me turn the music back on. What are we talking about? Ooh, guys. Okay, so here's this. I have no idea how this is going to work. Wednesday morning, uh, tomorrow, 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 I'm going to do the cyber threat briefing at 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. local time. I appreciate everybody trying to help me get my coffee game situation figured out. Uh, AeroPress is cool, but I don't have hot water. Uh, DoorDash is cool, but, um, you know, I, I just, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. Um, People suggested room service. Room service doesn't start till 6 a.m. I need a cup of coffee at 4.30 a.m. So that's not going to work, okay? So I have uh, appreciate everybody trying to help me get my, my coffee straight. I've got it sorted out. I will be there at 5 a.m. Uh, local time. At 9 a.m. local time, four hours later, I'll be all jazzed up with coffee. I'll probably have some smell good on, uh, which is what I call cologne. And I will be doing this panel live. Uh, it will be live streamed. It doesn't say like uh, where Trend Micro is pushing this, but I have it set up to automatically push to the Simply Cyber channel. So if you are watching, I do have an electric kettle. I packed it in my luggage. If you are watching this right now on Simply Cyber's YouTube channel or LinkedIn page, you will receive this push tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific time. It's a great panel. There's no like uh, notify me, schedule ahead, none of that. It just, it's just gonna go live. If you are part of the um, Simply Cyber Squad, you probably will get notified. If you're on the SC notify role on the Discord server, you will get notified. If you've hit the bell for notifications on YouTube, you will get notified. Dr. Sally Eves, Kevin Jackson, Dustin Childs, uh, and a couple others are going to be on this panel and we're going to be talking about cybersecurity in the metaverse, which is similar to what I talked about yesterday, but it's going to be bigger picture. We're talking governance, macro uh, geopolitical things, socioeconomic concerns, privacy. I want to spend quite a bit of time talking about privacy. Um, obviously, cyber attacks and, and the way that nation states will use it. Guys, there's a lot of meat on this bone. It's like it's almost like the bone is made of meat too. A lot of marrow in there, a lot of meat wrapped around it. It's a it's like a steamship. Uh, what we're going to be digging into, and it's an only it's only like a 45 minute session. So I you know I don't know. Um, BSEC there apparently there is no in person. They said that the room that they had to move to is kind of small. So um, ooh fireside chat and meta. I like that idea, Jay Smith. 
Ooh, I do like that. I like that way better than doing a briefing. Okay, hold on. Let, let me just finish this. So please, uh, I would ask you uh, to at least check it out tomorrow. Definitely pop in chat, uh, say what's up. I will, I don't think be able to see it, but I'll probably have my cell phone on me and kind of pop it up and see what's going on. You know how I like to multitask. Uh, so it's going to be cool. Uh, I hope you guys come by and enjoy it. Uh, if you're out in Vegas, I hope to connect with you guys um, while we're out there. All right, I'm just going to read. So, well, first of all, let me send you off, but then I'm going to hang out and say what's up for a few minutes with some people who may or may not be out there. Um, guys, this has been the Cyber Threat Briefing. It is August 9th, 2022. This was episode 171. You can get this podcast on your audio podcast app of choice. I do push it to the audio podcast for, uh, platform uh, myself. It's a manual process right now. I, I download this audio. I push it. So if you prefer to consume the daily cyber threat briefing um, in your earbuds while you're you know driving at the gym, um, mowing the lawn, th this is available to you. So please, you know, I always ask, please share the daily cyber threat briefing. Here, here's, I, w I really feel like other people can get value out of this. Somebody said a really interesting statistic to me the other day. They said, how big is the Simply Cyber community? And I said, well, we're about 40,000 on the YouTube channel. Um, we're about 40,000 on the YouTube channel. We're about 30,000 on LinkedIn. And he's, see, 39.9. We're close, guys. And uh, this individual said, well, how many, how many people attend the live stream? And I said, oh, a couple hundred. And he's like, oh, that's, so you're saying like 0.1%, like a tenth of a percent of the Simply Cyber community consumes the daily cyber threat briefing, which has immense value, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's really, really interesting. I wonder, like, and I've had multiple people say to me, I, I don't understand why this thing isn't got more traction for what you do here. Um, so I guess my, my ask for you guys is please, you know, if you're at Black Hat DEF CON and someone is talking about, you know, getting access to intel and information, please share this. Simplycyber.io slash streams, the URL at the top. That's how you can share the daily cyber threat briefing. It's the best option I currently have. Um, you know, I, I'm on a mission to really um, share this knowledge, make people better at information security and build a community so people can break in, feel inclusive, share knowledge and have, uh, have access to resources in a community. So... That's what I'm up to. So thank you very much. Now I will hang out for two more minutes until 9 a.m. And then I'm going to shut everything down, pull my machines out of uh, out of my desk and uh, load it up. And then I'm going to head to the airport. And that's going to be all about it. Kayla Rose, thank you. Good to see you on uh, YouTube. Kimberly, very nice. Uh, no, no, no. Um, Kimberly, it's not 9 p.m. It's 9 a.m. Pacific time. 9 a.m. Pacific time. Oh, Jared Pier Pierpont. Very nice. I'm glad. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the talk. Poner Joe, I saw you in the front row of the Metaverse talk. Very nice. Hey, Eric Silberman. Yeah, I don't under... Yeah, 60 likes. A couple hundred people in here. Yeah, Roy Roy Royden D'Souza says maybe the time. Maybe 8 a.m. is tough. Um... Some of you may have heard this already, but I'll share it with you um, if you're new here, you know. So I have done the daily, it's episode 171 of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. But I, for years, I would listen to this podcast with my coffee by myself and reflect on it. It's how I start my morning. I am a practitioner. I'm responsible for information security at an organ, I've, you know, I've, for 20 years, I've been responsible for information security at organizations. So for me, I know I need to know this stuff. So I've been doing it. It was only 171 episodes ago, or, you know, basically, I want to say like late December, 2021, I decided to include this as part of my stream thinking people may find value in it. And I was right. And now I do it. So the reason it's 8 a.m. Eastern time is because that's when I need to consume it in order to start my day and start delivering value to my organization in the cybersecurity capacity. So, you know, if I if I wasn't practicing information security, I suppose maybe I could I could do a later talk. Um, but but just for my operational workflows, that's how I do it. Yeah, Poner Joe, smash that like button. Ron Clark, good to see you. Are you bringing SX64 to Vegas? I don't know what that means. 
But um, I am bringing an electric kettle and some instant coffee. And I am bringing... I have a travel stream kit now. <laughs> this is how insane I am. So I've got an HD camera, a, a, a light stick, and um, my Yeti mic, the one I use for the Metaverse talk. And, uh, oh, that reminds me, I got to pack a, a tripod and some stuff. So basically, I'm walking through security with a backpack full of AV gear, like a true nerd. So thank you, Kraka. Oh, I don't plan on stopping it. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Casually Joseph. Yeah, I hope, I hope, uh, last time I traveled um, back in March, I my flight got canceled. Multiple flights got canceled. I had to fly into a different airport and take like a two-hour Uber to my destination. It sucked. Thanks, Tom Bishop. I will. Oh, uh, no, no problem, Kimberly. No problem. Good. I'm glad, Jarrett. Well, welcome to the party. All right, guys. Looks like it's 901. We'll see you guys out in Vegas. Have a great day. Be good, everybody. Thank you for your time. We'll see you.